Well, as you know, I announced last week that I would be starting a new series uh, after our visioning time last week. And um, I misled you uh, because God had different plans. And he has one last lesson that uh, he wants us to consider. And it's a really important lesson from the story of Moses and Israel. And so um, I had to change course. And that happens when we're trying to be responsive to the Lord. Um, once again, just you'll hear this for the last time. Uh, once, a God, once again, we're trying to take lessons from Moses and Israel in their uh, pursuit of building a holy nation. We're trying to take those lessons and then apply it to our pursuit and our concern and our interest in building a holy church. So to that end, we're going to take a look at Exodus 33 today. And uh, I want you to know that this encounter between Moses and God, very intimate encounter that occurs there, comes after a really disturbing account of how God responded to Israel having created a golden calf. Now, you all know that story, that when Moses was up getting the law from God, uh, the people of Israel got anxious and wanted a God uh, to protect them. And so they went to Aaron and they asked him to create a God. And um, I'm, I'm providing this lesson. I, I think it's really important, particularly as we start to transition now to personal holiness, that um, the whole idea of sin uh, is so grievous to God. And it would, it would behoove us to, to, to really capture God's impression of sin because that, would, that will help us in our pursuit of holiness. So this is the situation. Um, and now I'm, I'm going to read not from Exodus 32, but we're going to back up to 32, verses 19 to 35. And this is how God responds uh, to um, the creation of the golden calf. Now remember, we, when we think of this story, we always, you know, Moses was on the mountain and um, <coughs> God uh, informs him that his pe the people are down there making a golden calf. And, and God is angered and um, frustrated with Israel. And, and he says to Moses, he says, you know, I, I just, I have a mind to just wipe them out and start over with you. With you, Moses. I'll start over with you. You know, just like I started with Abraham and built Israel, I'll start with Moses and, and we'll, we'll create something new because this is, these people are just stiff-necked and, and just not changing. And, and what we remember the most about this account is that, that Moses appeals to God. And he, um, he appeals to God's nature and he, and he asks uh, that God would relent and that he wouldn't do that. And, and that God would continue to fulfill the promises that he has made through the patriarchs, Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob. And so this is where we're at. Uh, God has relented, and Moses is making his way down 
to um, the debauchery that's going on around the golden calf. So I'm reading uh, Exodus 32, 19 to 35 again. Uh, when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burnt it in the fire. And then he ground it into powder, scattered it in the water and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we, we don't even know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. Then uh, they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and poof, out came this calf. You know, we chuckle and laugh at that because it's like really super lame, right? Um, but the thing is that we, we're no different, right? <laughs> we rationalize our sins um, quite, quite easily. And, um, and so if, if we were to share how we rationalize sin, um, it, it would be worth a chuckle too. But anyways, poof, out came again. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and he said, whoever is the Lord, come to me. Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. And then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, you have been set apart to the Lord today. What have we been saying those words mean? You are holy to the Lord today. You have been set apart to the Lord today. He's saying this to these guys that just went and murdered their brothers, their neighbors, their friends, <laughs> right? He says, you have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against our, your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed, this, blessed you this day. It's a hard thing for us to process. The next day, Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord, and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you've written. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with plague that day because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. It's interesting, isn't it, that... <laughs> Holiness has a lot to do with standing against sin, um, standing up to sin. And so we need to keep that picture in mind. This is what is the context for this incredible contrast that I'm now about to read to you. 
So we go from this, this chaotic scene of a bloody purge to this scene which uh, we're going to see. And, and I want to emphasize that God takes sin seriously. <laughs> he, yeah, he, he chose not, he relented, he, he didn't just walk away from Israel, he relented, he was good to his true to his promises, but at the same time, there was a consequence for sin, a, a heavy consequence for sin. And um, those who stood up for righteousness, those who obeyed God, those who stood up against that sin were congratulated for being holy. God is incredibly concerned about sin. And that's why our discussion on personal holiness is going to start next week with sin. So that's the context. We come right off of that, and we're going to take a look at Exodus 33 now. Exodus 33, 7 to 23. Now Moses used a tent, or used to take a tent, and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out of the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to the tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, now please listen to this, you have been telling me, leave these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up there. Or don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me from your people, from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses said, now show me your glory. Is that your heart? Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. We have a problem with that. <laughs> we have a problem with God having compassion on whom he will have compassion. That is the spirit of the age that we live in. We have a problem with him saying, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock, 
And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face you must not see. This is like an incredibly pivotal, critical moment in the relationship between Moses and God and consequently Israel and God. Something fundamentally shifts in their relationship between Moses and God. Did you catch it? Did you see? Did you hear it? What happened? It's a change that needs to happen in each and every one of us if we are going to pursue holiness. Let me read a little excerpt again. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up there or here, from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me? <laughs> Holiness, being set apart, being distinguishable, being distinguished, being unique. What else would distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth if you were not with us? If your presence was not with us? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and know you by name. Moses is saying to God, to be set apart, to be different, to be uniquely yours, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want your presence. I need your presence with us. You see, to this point, Moses has been following instructions, right? He's been obeying. He's been doing his job. But something fundamentally shifts in him, and he wants more. He knows God. He, know, he wants to know God. He wants to know him more. He wants to know God in a very intimate way. He wants to experience God's presence and without it, he sees no need or no reason to move forward. This is such an important lesson for us. See, if we're going to be set apart from this world and set apart to God, to be a holy church, we must want to know God intimately and experience his presence. It's not enough to simply obey. Did you hear that? It's not enough to simply obey. David, when he had adult, uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba and then killed her husband and was confronted by the priest, he goes to God and he says, I would bring you sacrifices, but you don't want that. You want my heart. You want a broken and a contrite heart. You want my heart, right? 
And so it is not enough to just obey. We have to be passionate about growing in relationship with God. I'm reminded of Paul's confession. In Philippians 3, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul wanted to be in relationship with Christ. And then we look at how God responds to Moses saying, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to know you, God. You know me, and you've said this about me, and, and you know me. <laughs> I want to know you. I want to know you, God. How does God respond? Did he say to Moses, oh, I'm sorry, that won't be possible. Uh, I'm God, and you're simply a peon that I created. Out of the question. Did God say, who do you think you are wanting to have a personal relationship with me? I'm God. Did God say, this is ridiculous and laugh at him? How could you possibly assume that you could have a relationship? Well, hardly. God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will come to you. I will be with you. I will commune with you. This is God's nature. He is delighted when we seek after him. When we come to him and say, God, I don't want to just obey you. I want to know you. Intimately. He is overjoyed when we humbly come to him and ask him to reveal himself to us. Show me your glory, God. When we ask for his presence, when, when we ask to see his glory, he has us right where he wants us. Longing, yearning to grow deeper and deeper in love with him. He created us for this very reason. He doesn't want simply our obedience if our heart isn't in it. This was the problem Christ had with the Pharisees. They wanted to be in, they wanted to obey, but he pointed out explicitly how their heart was divorced from obedience. God wants our heart. This is the essence of God's message that he gave through the prophet Jeremiah. As he was writing from Jerusalem, he wrote from Jerusalem, he wrote to his brothers and sisters in uh, Babylon. And he wrote God's words to Israel. If you remember, Israel had been warned, if you don't straighten up, if you don't get right with me, you're going to be taken captive into Babylon. And Jeremiah was one of the prophets that told them about that. And so when it happened, and Jerusalem uh, was conquered, and Judah, the leading citizens in, in Judah were taken captive, and they were placed in captivity in Babylon, God used Jeremiah to write a letter. 
And this is what he wrote. We read it in Jeremiah 29. This is just a little excerpt. This is what the Lord says. Now, he's writing to people who had disobeyed God, and their judgment was to be put in captivity in Babylon for seven years. So Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed by Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to this place from which I carried you into exile. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you. This is the essence of Jesus' story of the prodigal son. Luke 15, 17 to 27, when he came to his senses, that's the prodigal son. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have foods to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf. Kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. The path to holiness is not just obedience, but it is a deep desire to know God and to experience his presence. And as we turn to him, as we seek his face, he says, I will be known by you. <laughs> or I will be found by you. I will reveal myself to you. I love what happens with Moses after this encounter. Exodus 34, 29 to 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he'd spoken with the Lord. And when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given to him on Mount Sinai. Now you understand this is after the first tablets had been broken. And when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak, he removed that veil 
until he came out. And then when he came out, he told the Israelites what he had been commanded, and they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Oh, that we would be a church that radiates the glory of God. Where people come into this place or encounter us in that place out there and they can see the glory of God. I remember growing up singing a song. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Let my let the glory of God be evident in me. This happens when we seek God, when we don't just decide, well, I'll be a good guy and I will obey God. Something clicks, <laughs> something fundamentally switches, and we say, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to experience your presence. I want to be in your presence. Then and only then do people see the radiance of Christ in us. The radiance of Christ that just sh shines from us. Oh, that we would be a church that radiates the glory of God, a church that seeks to be in the presence of, his whole, of our holy God, and a church that longs to grow in love with him. So next week, I'm beginning that series on personal holiness. I want to read to you 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possessions that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, in Christ, each one of us has been given a priestly duty. We are a holy priesthood. And as Christ, we, as priests, we are called to a personal holiness. Not a vicarious holiness by associating with a group of believers, some of whom are really trying to be a priest. It's each one of us individually is a priest. We are a holy priesthood. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22 says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him too, and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God himself lives by his spirit. In Christ, we are the building blocks of a holy dwelling in which God by, him, by his spirit, through his spirit, lives. 
If, if we're going to build a holy church, we are each going to need to passionately pursue holiness. And that begins with passionately pursuing a deep and committed relationship with Christ in which we seek after him. We hunger and thirst for him. We long to be in his presence. This is a book I'm going to lean heavily on. It's an amazing <laughs> classic of Christianity. It's called Holiness by J.C. Ra. It's Nature, Hindrances, Difficulties, and Roots. I'm going to lean on it because it's so, so it's like a how-to in holiness. And he says something in this book that I want to read to you. Now, his English is old, but we won't hold that against him. I'm old. Hopefully you don't hold that against me. Would you be holy? Would you become a new creature? <clears throat> then you must begin with Christ. You will do nothing at all and make no progress till you feel your sin and weakness and flee to him. He is the root and beginning of all holiness. And the way to be holy is to come to him by faith and be joined to him. And then further on, do you want to attain holiness? Do you feel this day a real hearty desire to be holy? Would you be a partaker of the divine nature? Then go to Christ. Wait for nothing. Wait for nobody. Linger not. Think not to make yourself ready. Go and say to him in the words of that beautiful hymn, Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked flee to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is our heart's desire that we would be a church that is holy, that is set apart from the spirit of this age, that is reflective of your awesome character. And Lord, we know that that starts with coming to you humbly, And like the prodigal son, just resting in your arms of grace. Help us, each one, to seek after you with all of our hearts. To long to be in your presence. To want to know you better each day. We know that we, we, we can't possibly know you fully in this life. But we don't want to be strangers when we encounter you. I don't think strangers will encounter you. <laughs> we want to be people who have encountered you in this life 
and who radiate your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Next week we'll start talking about personal holiness and being a priest. <laughs>